All right. Hello, everybody. This is uh, I'm Jeff, and I'm here with Mike and Sam, and it is behind the DM screen for November of 2017, and we're three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. All right, guys. Say hi. Hello. Hi. There, there's Sam and, and Mike. All right. Let me start the timer. It is I am up first. Uh, so uh, I've played. I think twice since the last time we recorded, um, if my notes are correct from the last time. Uh, so since then, they concluded their attack on the Water Temple, I think, or Water Node, I think we talked about that. Um, they moved into the Fire Node. Uh, we're in the, the, remember, the post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth doing Princes of the Apocalypse right now, but there's right. also like... Uh, out of the abyss and some homebrew stuff and the rod of seven parts is also kind of all happening simultaneously and i'm getting to a point where like i realized that it doesn't make a lot of sense once you get to like the the what is it the fane of the eye that then connects to the different nodes in prince of the apocalypse it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to like defeat one of those and then go off and do one of the other adventures so i'm like i think at this point we're just going to play through and finish Princes of the Apocalypse. Uh, mm-hmm. So they went through the, the Fire Node and and they they faced off against Imix, um, who was summoned, of course, just at the last minute. And I keep tying it into these other storylines. And so uh, every now and then, I had like members of the um, of the the cults like calling on assistance from the Queen of Chaos. The Queen of Chaos is sort of like the lieutenant to Miska the Wolf Spider, who's the villain in the Rod of Seven Parts. And sort of my storyline is that she is the is the instigator of all these things. Like she helped manipulate Loth into causing the the problems with Out of the Abyss, and she helped support and manipulate the cults because the more chaos she creates, the busy busier everybody all the heroes are on the planet, and she can focus on finding these rod parts to free Miska, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know you get to the end, and and they've they've seen. Several cultists, cult leaders, uh, call on help from from the Queen of Chaos, and then these wolf spider demons come come out of portals and start attacking. Uh, the the uh, Prophet of Fire starts to do the same thing, and Imix is like, "Screw you! I can take these jokers on my own," and like threw her into the lava pool, right? Because hmm. I thought that would be be really cool, and and just have an encounter with one you know massive enemy instead of a, a whole horde of enemies this time. Except, of course, one of the things that Imix does is he, like, summons fire elementals like crazy. So it still ended up being a small horde of enemies. Uh, and uh, I don't know if either one of you have played through this part of uh, Princes of the Apocalypse. There's a dragon right before then. Do you, either of you remember that? Uh, in the fire node? Yeah. I don't remember that. I don't think I actually ran the fire node. Okay, so I that, did not. So there's a red yeah. dragon right before that. And the red dragon is sort of the lieutenant, the second in command after the prophet. Uh, in that place, and and like all of the elemental cults, like they're really into like stabbing each other in the back. Like whoever's number two is always angling to be number one, you know, and whoever's number three always wants to be number two, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so so I basically I ran the dragon in one of two ways. I basically said, well, if they end up saying screw you, dragon, we're gonna fight, then it's gonna be the kind of dragon that's statted out there. If it's not. If they decide if they end up allying with the dragon against Imix and the Prophet of Fire, then the dragon's going to be an adult red dragon, and you know will theoretically assist them, right? But the deal is, it, the the red dragon's like, hey, the the Prophet's over there doing some some horrible ritual. Uh, she's going to summon Imix. I will help you take on whatever's happening there, right? I will help you in this fight. But you have to give me the elemental weapon. You have to give me Tinder Strike, which was the dagger for elemental fire. Like, when it's all done with, you got to give me that. And that's the only thing you can use to close the portal. So they have to basically, yes, if you help us beat Imix, um, we give up the ability to close the portal. And sure, the fire cult's been decimated, and you're probably not going to be a threat for a while. But we also know that you're always going to be down there lurking, uh, you know, stirring up some, some fiery armies or whatever, doing, doing whatever. And having seen Emix being summoned, they're like, you know what? Let, let's go with this deal. Like, if it turns out we don't need it and, and whatever, we can always just heave the dagger into the portal and say, screw you and fight the dragon. Um, 
But they didn't, right? When it was done with, the dragon helped them fight Imix. Not helpful at all, because Imix is immune to, like, all of the dragon's attacks. <laughs> right? They don't know this. I was, I was wondering how Yeah, that was no, they, they, they don't know this. They, they see the dragon up there clawing and biting whatever, but, you know, it's not doing much of anything, so... Um, you know, good times anyway. Uh, and then they get, the, you know, and they're like, okay, well, we're like wiped out. There's no way we can fight this dragon. All right, here's the dagger. I hope you, you know, own up to your part of the deal. And, and the dragon lets them walk off, walk out, right? So they left this threat down there in the fire node with the dagger. They get back up and I've got the, the hive creatures, the insectoid hive mind uh, creatures. Right. Um, they're running around and they're slowly trying to close all the portals because they're all about containing the chaos and, and um, sealing up all the all the rips in, in reality that are leaking magic into the world and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, did I ever give you the whole backstory behind them? Yep, I think so. Okay, so there's kind of the, the, the white cell antibodies uh, from, from this Cthuloid realm and they don't want to see that happening here again and they see those kinds of things happening yeah yeah and they and they couldn't they can't communicate and so it took everybody a while to figure out that they're actually like they're, not bad they're not the bad guys but they're i mean they're but own, they're not they're not there to preserve the right. human race either, and, and right? they don't yeah. really understand the human race so like as they were coming out they're like oh yeah so uh you give us the the iron fang weapon we're gonna go take care of the earth portal we can go down there we can't get down to the air portal because a great uh entity of chaos just recently wandered down there and that's pazuzu that we talked about you know i integrating into so, to bring in some out of the abyss stuff here as well uh so they're like you know if you could go take care of pazuzu that would you know, then we can finish off everything there and we'll be we'll have all this sealed up and all this problem done with for you. And that way I can kind of avoid the slog of going through um, the Earth Node and doing all that, even though they've already defeated the Prophet. They've already got the weapon, right? It's just going to be going through all the challenges and that, you know, whatever. That'll get old fast, right? Yeah. So they'll take care of that. Um, you guys go down after Pazuzu. Uh, that'll all be a good time. And, and I did the same thing. I, like, I skipped all the, all the challenges and stuff in the Air Node. And I'm like, well, you get down there and like, Pazuzu's just sort of rampaged through the the thing. He's really easy to follow. Just follow the the wake of destruction and death, right? <laughs> all of all of the challenges are dead. Pazuzu's just been tearing the place up, um, and so they end up following Pazuzu all the way to the air node. Uh, so I avoid all the you know I can skip all this log there too, uh, and they they find Pazuzu and he's he's there at the the portal for, in the air node and he has through brute force. Uh, shoved his hands into the portal and is is forcing it open, you know, in a way that only a demon lord can, right? Uh, and and he's not there yet. It's going to take him a long time to tear it open enough to, for him to actually get through. But but eventually he's going to get it, right? And so the party's like, well, what are we going to do? Like, I don't really want to fight Pazuzu. He he's really strong, but he's right there and he's trying to tear tear open this rip in, in reality and whatever. And the only you know, and if we close the portal, like we have the weapon, if we throw it into the portal, it'll close the portal. But then he, we're stuck here with Pazuzu. Nobody wants that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they actually they surprised me. Like that was the beginning of a new session. I'm like, oh. We're going to start off with this big epic fight against a, a CR-26 or whatever. I found it on EN World. Somebody had homebrewed a Pazuzu stats, right? We're going to have a big epic fight with this CR-26 Pazuzu uh, to start off a new session. And that'll be super epic. And and what they end up doing is they're like, so um, if we give you the uh, the weapon, um, Wind Vane, and just let you tear open a hole in reality and escape to the air, uh, air elemental plane... It, is that cool? Will you like leave us alone? <laughs> so they give him they give him the the weapon and you know the one that's used to do all these rituals and to summon all the elemental princes or whatever. And Pazuzu's like, yeah, I can use this. And he he pieces together a ritual and he and he opens up the portal and he, he escapes through and he takes he takes Wind Vane with him, which destroys the portal, right? Hmm. So Pazuzu escapes, they close the portal. And they didn't actually do the fight at all. They just sort of they, they <laughs> negotiated a, a truce with Pazuzu because Pazuzu just wanted to get out, right? This is Pazuzu right. has now escaped the curse that has trapped all the demon lords in the Underdark. He's the only one who's really gotten out, right? He figured it out because they handed him Windvane. So that was interesting. Uh, and at that point, I, I, I'm like, okay, well, we've basically finished Princes of the Apocalypse at this point, you know, Except, of course, that Pazuzu's still out there and that dragon still has Tinder Strike. Uh, you know, so there's some stuff there. Right? You know, they finished Prince of the Apocalypse at sort of in quotes around finished, right? And they defeated Pazuzu in as much as they gave him what he wanted and he left. Um, 
and then then I, I I'm like, okay, well, we're kind of starting a new chapter here. Let's let's lay out sort of the options. And so I laid out three different directions they could go. So uh, Vizarin, the the drow wizard from Out of the Abyss, is like, hey guys, I have finished the work on this ritual to get rid of the demon lords like two months ago. Why aren't you here yet? We need to get this done, right? So that's that's uh, a thing that's going on. Um, the the I have a an undying uh, packed warlock. Um, and so he's like this packed with this undead creature or whatever. I don't know if I ever told you the whole story about that and how the his mentor is actually himself from the future who's who's jumped back. <laughs> right? That's cool. Yeah. So I've got this whole thing, but but that character is like you know I'm kind of losing interest in in the character. Warlocks kind of get boring after tenth level. They don't have a lot more interesting things going on with them. Um, and he's he's talking about changing out characters. Like oh man, I've got all these like really important like story elements going on with him. Um, so I worked something out, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but he's like, oh, um, two of the pieces of the rod that you're collecting, the rod of seven parts, have gathered together in this place. Uh, and he makes a reference to the burning sands, and then the guy goes off and researches, the character goes off and researches what that means and where that is. And it's it's out in the desert in the, in the Arabian Peninsula. And, uh, okay, well, we need to go get that, too. Um, and so they, they got that going on. And then they also get a message from... Um, from another character who's like his family is low level nobility, uh, but he's kind of the black sheep and, and, you know, escaped his family, even though he's technically the heir to the, to the estate and whatever. Mm-hmm. They get a message saying, Hey, your dad's gone missing. Everybody in the family needs to come home so we can deal with this. Right. So they're like, all right, well, that should be a, a relatively quick trip. We'll go deal with that. It might take a few days and then we can move on and get to the more important things. So we so it was interesting to actually go to they decided to go that way. I'm like, okay, well the other two things like I have published adventures, I'm ready to go. This one I I'm like this is the part where I is more of the homebrew type of type of setting, right? And so I have to come up with something. Uh, and so the the idea here is like I, I flip through the Tome of Beasts, right, from Cobalt Press, and I'm like, what right. kind of things are going on? What kind of creatures do I want? I could do a Fey thing where like Fey have kidnapped him or something. I don't know. That's why he's gone missing. Um, and then I'm like, oh, well, you know, this character is my wild magic sorcerer character. And the whole story that we've created over time with him is that there is this family ritual that the family has gone through and it's been passed down for ages and whatever. And uh, it was through this ritual that he like contacted this otherworldly, you know, far realm sort of place. And that's when he first got his powers uh, and his whole family is kind of magically inclined. And I'm like, what if that's what it is? Like his dad also underwent this, this ritual and he made contact with an entity and he's trying to work with this entity or, or something happened with this entity. I don't know what's going on, but something's going on with this sort of Cthuloid sort of entity. Um, and that's why he's gone missing. Right. And then, and then I just pulled out some aberrations and some Cthulhu-ish sort of things. And I said, okay, well, there's my monsters. I know the dad's missing. I'm just going to make the rest of it up as I go, right? And I didn't know much about the setting. We'd never been to that city before. We'd never dealt with this, the, this character's family before. So I spent most of the time like, okay, so you appear in the city. Hey, player of that character, what does the city look like? So I just spent a lot of my time letting him build the world. Uh, and that worked out really well. And then it got into, and then I we wove together this plot of, okay, so dad has contacted this entity. We've sort of, I've gotten hints from from this character, or this player that like, their, the family's lower level nobility, but they'd like to rise up. And so maybe dad is making a deal with this Cthuloid sort of entity in hopes that it will help him raise his status. Uh, so he's actually the cultist. He hasn't been taken by anybody. He's sort of the one doing the bad things. And he's got some other low level nobility with him who are trying to raise their status. And and so uh, they, they end up doing this sort of urban investigation and I just sort of sprinkle in clues wherever they go. I'm going to find some way to sort of sprinkle in some clues along the way to move things along. So they eventually figure out uh, what's going on. And eventually I figure out while I'm, you know, making it up as I go, Oh, well they're in the woods behind this one estate um, and, and they're doing something. And so as they approach uh, then inspired by stranger things, I'm like, Oh, and all the trees are dying and they're covered with this weird, you know, mucusy, whatever. Spoilers. Oh, that's like early on. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> so, so it all becomes sort of the upside down sort of description. And, and that's sort of the, the aberrant taint of, of what's happening. Uh, and then, uh, and I, and I come up with uh, this one monster that I found in there. 
called a Fate Eater. And I'm like, oh, the Fate Eater does this interesting thing where when it gets a critical hit, you roll on this random table and it changes one of the threads of fate for your character. And usually it's like you get a plus two to one skill and get a minus two to another skill. But your character is, you know, effectively different. Something in their history has changed that made that change happen, right? Um, And then I'm like, oh, well... I can use this to my advantage. I have a, a player who's looking to retire his character because he's bored with him mechanically to make something new. So I introduce the Fate Eater as, you know, it leaps out of the trunk of this tree and latches itself onto this character and just starts tearing apart all of the threads. Like, I didn't roll any dice, right? It's all just cinematic at this point. Uh, and then he goes into a coma and they finish the fight and, and there's other creatures around or whatever. Um, and they finish the fight. They defeat the Fate Eater. Um, and then he wakes up and everybody's like, oh, hey, look, it's our war- a warlock. I mean, uh psionic mystic you know because that's what you've always been and nobody remembers you differently because your fate has just been changed your history has been modified by this thing so he got to start he got to play the new character he wanted to play while still being the exact same character so it all still kind of works out right uh, mm-hmm. the war the patron to him is a warlock which is you know him from the past or whatever just sort of became his mentor that taught him how to you know th- did these experiments that gave him these psionic powers and so he's still in the picture and all the things that i needed are still there and he's happy with that too so that worked out really well. And I've cool. used up all of my time and I didn't get a chance to like ask anything or whatever. But it was actually a really neat session. I, I thought it was worth uh, talking about how, how all that came together. So Neat. So yeah, that's me. Any I, quite- I like I, I like the thing that you did with the character. That's that seems like a really sort of nice way to accommodate a player's desires mm-hmm. and yet not do something that you know, you, you didn't have to end the campaign. Campaign, you didn't have to also wreck everybody else's characters, mm-hmm. and yet everybody is happy and got what they wanted. So, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it, I came like out, it. it came. Out, in fact, I I was pleased. One of the things I was so pleased with is that I found a way to make every single bit of the story like really meaningful to everybody. Like everybody had right. a piece going on, right? Everybody had a spotlight in this story, right? It was the it was based on this one character's family, and the one character I wasn't sure how to fit in was the automaton character, you know, the the Japanese robot character. Mm-hmm. But he discovered over the years that that the soul that's powering his gym is actually the soul of the 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 doctor who created these automatons, like invented them. So, mm. so in many ways, he's the inventor of himself. He was his first experiment, uh, and then through through because they like one of the the one guy likes to dig through the library all the time, right? So they when they were in the family estate, he was looking through some genealogy and discovered that um, that soul is actually like their distant distant ancestor. So it turns out that like one of my PCs is one of my other PCs, like great 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 grandfather. You know, <laughs> so. So everybody sort of got these little spotlight moments. It was fun. Neat. So uh, I, I missed it. What level are your guys? They're eleven now. Okay. And wh- how long? When do you? When, when does this campaign look like it's wrapping up? Um, I don't know. <laughs> just kind of you just playing it by ear. I'm playing. I'm kind of playing it by ear. I don't like you know. Yeah. I'm not playing out multiple sessions in advance. Now we did just wrap up one major storyline, right? Um, yeah, I was gonna say like as soon as they're facing like Pazuzu. You know, now what? Well, and honestly, like, my throwing them up against Pazuzu was me thinking of you being like, well, my six-level PCs took on a lich in two rounds, right? And I'm like, well, right. so clearly they can handle some really tough stuff. I wonder, you know, and, and especially when it's a single enemy, like, they're really good at locking them down with the, the monk who can stun and do all that kind of stuff every single time he hits. Um, I'm like, throw in something really hard. I'm, I'll be curious. You know, if I need to start fudging stuff or make up a story that explains why he got away or whatever um i can do that but I'm, i'll be curious to see what they can do at level 11 against a 26 cr pazuzu right so right sure i just wanted to experiment see what happened and then i didn't get to experiment because they laughed they, they gave what he wanted so right so yeah do you do you find that uh, so well maybe i should wait till my segment to talk about it no it's fine i, I was just gonna say so you know my my players' PCs are at like fifth level right now. They're about to go up to six in the next couple of sessions, and they're finally sort of figuring out that they can ha- they have like really powerful abilities. Mm-hmm. 
Um, cause a couple of the players are new, so they, I don't want to say they didn't understand, but you know, it takes a while for a group to really sort of get to work together and learn that they can exploit the certain powers to really be powerful and, you know, um, to really do a lot of damage and whatnot. And, and so they're just figuring that out. But one of the characters has a really low constitution. So he has been plagued all of the whole entire campaign with a very low hit point value mm. and, it's only now that it's starting to he's got a big enough, you know, hit point set that he's not going to be like one shot killed. Um unless I mean if I if I crit him and it's a really powerful creature, he's gone, he's gone like that yeah. that he's gone. Um but so anyway, here's my question. Uh which is why I said I should probably just leave it for my segment, <laughs> but whatever. Uh so here's my question. Even at level eleven, and even though they're really powerful and they can do a ton of damage, like are any of your PCs like still fragile? Um they yeah, so I've got multiple part of the trick with this the the campaign is that like I have half of the party who's like the, no, 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 we're going to hide back here, don't mess with us sort of characters, right? The, <laughs> right. the warlock was that way, the, the sorcerer is that way, and the bard are all that way. Like, none of them can handle getting in combat. The only ones who can are the monk and the barbarian. And the barbarian, like, barbarians are hard to hurt. Uh, and I'm finding that I'm just now getting to a point where I have monsters that can, that can scare the barbarian, right? Because, right. because when they're raging... And it's almost every fight that he's raging, um, they're resistant to, you know, most normal damage. It's only right. when you're hitting him with magic, and, you know, magic is relatively limited, right? So um, they're starting, he's starting to get threatened a little more, but uh, the Barbarian can take a lot. So, yeah, no, they've been pretty fragile, and, uh, and, I, and I let them, most of the time I let them be, like, I'm going to hang out in the back sort of characters. That's fine. Okay, so and I'll let them get away with it, and, and I'll let the monk and the barbarian take most of the hits for them, and, and I'll per, you know I'm perfectly okay with giving them that most of the time. And then Imix comes up, and it's like, okay, well, sure, you normally hang out in the back, and you're doing that now, but Imix just summoned a bunch of fire elementals to keep the melee guys busy. He's going to teleport into the back and start smashing you, right? So when I do pull it out, like it's a big deal. That suddenly now the people who are never threatened are very, very threatened, right? And it, feel, right. it feels really dangerous that way. So I find it to be fun that way. But they're okay. also high enough level that even Imix isn't going to one-shot him. Now, he might have killed him in two or three rounds, but they also had, you know, healing potions and, and a bard and whatever trying to help him out. So Right. So, okay, yeah. just curious. Here we are. Yeah. All right. Well, I will wrap up my time. My, my bell went off like five minutes ago or more. Um, and I want to quickly, before we move on, I want to remind people that they can support the show over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. We've got some, fa- some, 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 words are hard. Uh, we've got some, f- some <laughs> fantastic patrons over there, uh, who support the show. We've had a, a, a recent trickling of more patrons coming on and that's awesome. Uh, the more patrons we have, the more we can do with that. And, and I'm hoping that someday we will have so many patrons and we're over halfway there that we'll have enough patrons that I will completely uh, do away with the advertising on the show and just make it a patron supported show because um, making money has never been the goal. It's always been just paying for the, the things that we do on the show. So uh, head on over to patreon.com slash the Tome Show and support us. Sam? So please do. And it's really funny because the last episode I edited was the alignment show. And in it, Tracy was the one that had to read the names of the patrons. And she started reading the names. And then she paused and she said, Jeff, you just keep adding names. Yeah, that's the (laughs) idea. (laughs) That's what I was thinking when I when I was listening to it and editing. I thought that's exactly what's supposed to happen. So thank you. patrons. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And and a lot of those patrons are are uh, are supporting us at a dollar a month. And that's awesome. And we appreciate that. And I usually try to give them a, a couple of shout outs. Uh, when they first join in, but um, the only ones we mention week after week in every single episode are the the patrons who are supporting us, and I think it's five dollars a month or more. They get shout outs every week because they're contributing quite a bit. So I want to make sure that they know that they're they're appreciated. They're all appreciated. But there we are. All right. So uh, Michael W. I've decided Yo. your, I've decided your middle name is W. It starts with W. It's not. It's yep. an E. But no, it's but a W. You want. It's a W now. That's fine. Okay. Uh, what does you, the W stand for? Uh, um, Walteron. You haven't even thought this out, have you? You just came <laughs> up with W, and you haven't. You got no follow through. What's What's the Man. W stand for? in Michael W. Smith. 
I don't even know who that is. Okay, well, I think I feel like you're. That's the same W. No. All right, <laughs> Mike's Michael W. Shay. It's the same W. That's why it's not yours. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Tell us about your game, Mike. Go. So uh, I am running the Storm King's Thunder, and we are closing very quickly on the end. And most recently, I'll I'll, I'll focus on. Uh, so, so both group. Well, one group just spent uh, a long time in um, White Plume Mountain. Uh, they found out that the Cloud Giants were trying to dig out ancient uh, draconic and giant weapons that were stashed there. Uh, the group found out that White Plume Mountain is actually one of Cloud's many treasure vaults, and uh, they raided it for fun and profit. And it was fun because uh, a bunch of uh, hobgoblins had already gone in there. So every time they go into a room, they'd see a bunch of hobgoblins that got killed by whatever it was they had to they had to face. Uh, I don't think anybody in the group had played White Plume Mountain, so they had they had a pretty good time. And even at level, I think they're level 14, and even at level 14, it was still a fun dungeon romp. You know, like, they they, they like uh, they fought a vampire at the end, and I, like, souped the vampire way up. Um, but I, it was five guys versus, you know, five, five PCs, level 14 versus a single vampire, and the vampire still, you know, chewed him up quite a bit. Hmm. Uh, so that was, that was a good time. Um, so they're, I'm, I'm trying to figure out now, like how to close them out. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm kind of getting, you know, I've now been playing storm Kings thunder for a year and I want to, I want to move on and, and start digging into uh, tomb of annihilation. Um, D- didn't I just so see I'm, that you were playing Strahd the other day? Yeah, I played it for Halloween. Oh, so my, okay. my annual, I and I stole, thanks to you, you, you have added a major component to, uh, so I run, I run, I run Ravenloft every year. I, I, uh, I have Halloween. for years. Yeah. I didn't this yeah, year. And, yeah. Yeah, and that's my, my plan is to kind of make that a yearly thing. And each year I kind of tweak it a little bit more. And I'll actually so I'll ask a quick question about that. Um but uh this year I used your idea of like they're in the cart riding on their way to the castle, and inside the cart um is Madame Eva doing the fortune. So like it you know, instead of like all the monkeying around at Barovia and all the like the plot, mm-hmm. it's like you're in a cart racing to <laughs> <laughs> racing to Castle Ravenloft. Here's what you got to do, and then you're a boot in your ass, and you're in Castle Ravenloft with the plot. Right? I don't remember that and being my idea, but I'll take it. I thought it was. I thought I thought you had written a thing about like if you want to run it in a one shot, just just you know stick Madame Eve in a cart. I think that's somebody and, else, but I'll take it. I'll take the credit. All right. I thought for sure it was you. <laughs> I anyway. remember. I remember we talked about it. I I don't know if it was us or or, or if it was on a different yeah, podcast yeah. on the Tome Show. So uh, our our friend of the show, James Intercasso, actually had the how to modify the Taraka deck so that you can use it just for Castle Ravenloft and it doesn't uh, you know throw the items all over mm-hmm. Barovia. And uh, so between those two, it worked really well. And I I did my same thing where at the forty five minute mark, Strahd shows up wherever you are, and they only in this time they they didn't have it. They only had one of the items, but it was the one they needed, which is the tome of Strahd, and that lets them burn the tome, which kills Strahd if he's already been defeated. Mm. That's my little house rule. Um, so it's like you know, it it I, I found that Ravenloft is a manageable game to run in a single session. But next time, I think I'm going to take that big poster map that they have. And I'm going to say, not only does Madame Eva run your fortune for you, but she gives you a map of Ravenloft. Mm. And then I'm going to put the map out there. And that way, when they're exploring Ravenloft, they have a map to follow rather than just, you know, wandering from room to room. Although it'd be, it'd and, be tempting to, to build the map every year. Like, wherever the last group went, that's what's on the map. Yeah. You know? and, like, and I also thought that, like, the, the previous year's characters would be vampires that are hunting them this year. Mm. You know, that might be. But, and I change the players up. It's not always the same group. Uh, yeah, know, but that doesn't matter. That's, it's still, it still I, gives you that, that through yeah. thread of My continuity. Yeah, Michelle's really love it because she, she's seen it. Anyway, yes, yeah, so that was a good time. But um, in so uh, the one group was doing White Plume Mountain. They just left White Plume Mountain, and now I'm figuring out how to get them you know, to, the, to the end. The other group is, is kind of, you know, they're on that downward you know, roller coaster ride, you know, hammering into the end. And they just went to the Purple Isles. Or the I got Purple Rocks, which is a that's uh, supposedly where King Hecaton is being. This is all full of spoilers, by the way. Right. So if you're and, and we talked about that last time that we were you were trying to get that sort of uh, what, yeah Cthulhu so I followed, sort like, of like, how do you how do you make him crazy? And mm-hmm. I had lots of fun with 
fish people. And, and nice. I'll tell you one thing that I just love as as a DM is, and this happened in last when I ran the full version of Curse of Strahd, and it happened this time too, which is when you when the story kind of works itself out. So something that seems so obviously purposely either good or evil, and yet the the group still debates it. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was a a uh, like a high priest to Slarkathal is sac- is about to throw a baby off of a cliff, and there's this whole like they're fighting the priests and they're fighting all the cultists, and our our sorcerer has telekinesis the, on the the baby, so the baby's hanging in the air over the cliff, <laughs> right, and all this stuff. And then they get the baby and they look, and the baby has two sets of eyelids, right? It has these great big eyes, and it's got eyelids that close like vo- vertically and horizontally, mm-hmm. and they're like. You know what? And and then they talk to the priests who are like, "We we don't kill the children. That's ridiculous. We give them to Slarkathal and they come back." And they're like, "So this thing's a monster. Like maybe we should throw it." In the <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god! You guys are standing around with a baby in your hands, talking about how maybe the best thing for it was to throw it off a cliff." You know, I just I, I just love that. The they question everything. Right? Uh-huh. Like maybe that was a, maybe that priest was right. You know, sorry we kind of kicked his ass. Anyway, so they went through um, the the purple rocks. Uh, I actually used the map for the um, water node in Prince of the Apocalypse because it makes for like nice underwatery mm-hmm. sort of tunnels. So I use that as like the the, the salt mine. There are the salt tunnels underneath uh, the purple rocks, and I filled it with like you know aboliths and crazy psychic squids and uh, sailors who had been captured and looked like they were imprisoned, except the imprisons were all in their mind. So they would actually, if you tried to like grab them and pull them through the bars, they would take psychic damage and die, thinking that you had just ripped them apart. You know, hmm. so lots of fun stuff. And then they fought the high priest of Slarkrathal, another, I guess, another high priest, and um, uh, oh, and King Hecaton, who had this abolith that was like attached to him, and had been slowly pulling, like you know, trying to convert King Hecaton into Slarkrathal's avatar. Uh, and off in the distance is Slarkrathal himself with all his great tentacly goodness, uh, a you know, i.e. Dagon style from H.P. Lovecraft. And the fun bit there is even though the party's like 14th level, they're still getting nailed with psionic attacks constantly. They're mm-hmm. taking a bunch of damage. They're take, doing madness checks. There's, you know, and they're, they're fighting like CR3 and 4 guys, but the CR3 and 4 guys all have advantage on all attacks because their god is, you know, right there. So um, it was a really fun fight, and at the end, Slarkrathal makes a deal, tries to make a deal, you know, in its telepathic way, with one of our characters who is a, uh, now has become a priest of um, Umberly, and Slarkrathal is actually an avatar of Umberly, hmm. um, and Slarkrathal is basically in pain, not, it's not, you know, it's not sitting and running, wanting to destroy worlds, it wants to go back to sleep, and Imerith woke it up. And it doesn't want to be awake anymore. It wants to go to sleep, but it can't go to sleep unless it has an avatar walking around on on you know in the world for it that it can sort of dream through. It's like a, it needs this like antenna out there. Mm-hmm. So it goes. It says, I, I you know if I, you know I want to go back to sleep. You know I'm paraphrasing, right? It didn't talk like this. I I want you, I want to go back to sleep, and I want you to be my avatar. Do you accept this? And he's like thinking, and the group's like, oh yeah, like. Avatar is Larkathal? How can that be bad? You know, you should you should do that. And you know, and then he's like, no. And then Slarkathal gets really mad and says, like, you know, accept this or die. And he's like, no, I don't accept it. And I'm like, okay, you die. And he's like, what? I'm like, yep. You know, and he's like, how? I'm like, power word kill. He's like, oh my god. So <laughs> now they're down. They're, they've been beating crap, and Slarkathal is closing in on them. So they're like, okay, we got to get the hell out of here. So they blow the horn. And that takes him to um, Maelstrom. The, the Maelstrom. And, uh, you know, they're, they're beat up. One of the guys is dead. All this stuff is going on. And now they're dealing with the crazy sisters who are saying, hey, look, it's those small folk assassins that killed our dad. And I don't know, you know, and they have Hecaton, but like, oh, Hecaton's dead. So it turns out that Imrith ha- has. When did Hecaton die? He's alive. But oh. everybody in, in Maelstrom basically is under a giant mass suggestion from Imrith. So, uh-huh. and she's there, right? So they walk into the throne room to see the, the uh, Hecaton's daughter and standing right behind Hecaton's daughter is Imrith. Mm-hmm. And Imrith is like, you know, these guys are assassins and you need to kill them. So big drama there. And they, you know, one of the characters throws up an anti-magic shell and that breaks free the giants that are, you know, jumping on them, jumping in on them. And uh, they 
beat up Emrith, and Emrith teleports away and says, ah, you know, I'll see you again, jerks, and teleports away. <laughs> so, yeah, they're so, really close to the end. Yeah, right. So now they've they've had the conversation. The sisters uh, ambush the party anyway because the sisters cannot accept it. This is kind of a fun thing I did with them that, like, basically Imrith has had them under a suggestion for 10 years, but they can't, even though they know they're not suggested anymore, they cannot accept the fact that they've been duped like that. Imrith has so been they there just, for 10 years? I, I, in my version. Oh, okay. Yeah. In my version, <laughs> she's been influencing things for a long, long time. Yeah, because right? I, I think in the, the official version, like, Imrith has been there since the Tyranny of Dragon storyline, which is like a year or two earlier. Well, so in mine, it's five years. But in, okay. mine, in mine, she's been kind of working these things. She has, you know, she, Imrith has been everywhere, right? Uh-huh. She's, she's been screwing with things for a long time. She's just this master manipulator. And even during the Tyranny of Dragons, she was manipulating things mm-hmm. in my of it um but the sisters just can't accept this you know they're just it's too it's far too painful for them to say yeah we've been duped for 10 years unlike their younger sister who's now the queen uh who says yeah we were stupid right as we know people don't like to say boy i made a mistake and they would much rather hang on to their mistake and double down and, and double, double down, down and double. yeah right so that's exactly what the sisters do they had a night and i'll tell you you want to challenge uh five 15th level characters Throw five storm giants at them. <laughs> I found that that works really well. They're getting hit for sixty points of damage. One person got critted for ninety. You know, just you know, lots of. And one of them was a may, or archmage, so she's casting spells like crazy. It was a good time. Um, anyway, so now they're going to Imrith, and I'm like, you know, so in my head, I'm like, oh, boss fights, right? Like, how to handle this? And I, I asked Mike Merles on. Um, you mentioned the DM. Did you mention the DM deep, deep dive with Mike I Merles? Did. Yeah. So uh, I asked him about this because it's something that he brought up when Adam Cobell had a roundtable and mentioned that, like, you know, in drama, in like movies, boss fights have this like very clear pacing that brings like energy to the fight and that D&D doesn't. D&D has like, right. oh, first page, you know, we're done. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> uh, so I asked Merles about that, like, how you know, what do we do? And he he brought up something which I think is not not you know we're, isn't a complete surprise to us, but it's something that I I need to spend more time really digging into. Which is it ain't about like what kind of powers they have in a fight, you know what makes sense for the story and what would a boss do in that particular situation and how does that sometimes the boss getting to the boss is the boss fight and by the time you get to the boss, you know it, it doesn't matter that you beat her in one round right. because it took you a lot of energy to get there in the to first place. Yeah. So in, oh, I think, hang on, I'll close the door. It reminds me of um, uh, Quinn Murphy. You remember Quinn? Yeah. Sure. So right. Quinn Murphy yeah, the, in the uh, four, in the fourth edition days had his world breaker concepts, right? Yeah. One of the things right. that made them interesting is that basically um, it's the normal boss fight and it's a little bit of a challenge and whatever. And then you get to like the halfway point when they're bloodied and then they transform into a much more difficult boss, you know, uh, which kind of, emulate some of the movie pacing right where it starts off yeah. and and your heroes are winning and then the tide turns and the bad guys are winning and then you pull off the victory at the end by the skin of your teeth sort of thing yeah and and, and, and you know i think there's a lot to do with that and you could do waves and i've got all big plans for emirate you know i've got mm-hmm. i've been thinking about how to run an emirate fight forever um but but i think there's another side to it though which is that you instead of kind of the pacing of the battle itself it's like well what What's leading up to it? And so my thought was, Imrith, you know, and what what's going through the boss's head? She's watched these characters disrupt every plan she's had across the entire Sword Coast, and they're coming for her, right? And my thought was, like, well, she doesn't even want to be in the prime plane anymore. She wants to go become an astral dragon and fly around the astral sea as a spirit thing. You know, she wants to get away. So, or, you know, this is, again, my idea, right? Mm-hmm. So I have this little montage where they're thinking about how to get to her, and she drinks this goblet given to her by the cult of the dragon and then cuts off one of her fingers and hands it to this high priest of the cult of the dragon and the characters don't know why the hell that she did that or you know they just saw this one of them had a dream about this so the guy who had the dream he went back to Clouth and had this conversation and Clouth said guess what it doesn't matter if you beat her or not because her plan isn't to be isn't is to die (laughs) like her she's she's expecting to be defeated she's hoping to kill you but she's expecting to be defeated and she's got a uh, a lair. She's got her phylactery, but her phylactery is hidden on an asteroid in the middle of the astral sea. And the character talking to him says, "Well, I've got this thing that's linked to her. Can we use this to try to figure out where it is?" And they destroy the item, which is like a wand of lightning that the guys had forever. Mm. And they're able to figure out, yes, they, it is. But it, Cloud says, "I don't know which people in your party are influenced by Imrith, 
and which ones she can see through. So you're the only one that's allowed to know why you're going here. Right. Hmm. And so and the player and then I'm telling this to the player on his own, right? So he's but I'm like, you gotta convince the group to do it. So he's like, you know, he goes back, he's like, Well, I think there's another way for us to get to Imrith, but it's gonna require a short jaunt through the astral plane. And they're like, What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know? So now they took their airship and turned it into a spell jammer and they're flying through the astral <laughs> And they're, they they ran in, they found, and, you know, they get there, and, and the rest of the party's like, how the hell did we find, what the hell is this giant iron asteroid, and why the hell are we even here? And the one player's like, well, I think we're going to have to go in there. So, you know, so the neat part is they have to destroy her phylactery before she starts using it, and then they're going to show up, and she's going to be all pompous, and then they're going to reveal, by the way, we already destroyed your phylactery, and right. now it's really a big challenge. So that, that idea of, like, and I did this with Strahd, too. That, like, you know, what happens when the villains look at it and they can figure it out and realize they're going to lose? You know, what do they do then? You know, because mm -hmm. every bad guy, you know, like the big joke with my group is every time they face a big villain, the villain's like, you know, you made a huge mistake facing me. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, we have like 12 guys before you that we kicked that said basically the same thing. Right. So, <laughs> and they're not wrong. Right? So it's like when, when you have someone that's as smart as Imrith, it isn't about what that battle's going to be like. It's about, you know, what is she going to do to make sure? Oh, and there's another trick. Uh, one of the characters has been, I'm sorry, I know I'm over time. Yeah. Um, one, one of the characters has, you know, been like a, a, a very strong uh, partner and, 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 you know, deep friendship with Hecaton, or not Hecaton, uh, Harshnag. And Harshnag mm -hmm. has been imprisoned by Imrith for like, God, you know, for months, right? <laughs> And they're going to walk into Imrith's throne room, and she's going to be sitting there on her throne, and Hecaton is going to be in his encased amber floating over a portal that's leading to hell, and she's going to let it go. <laughs> and they're going to go, holy cow, Hecaton just went to hell. Mm -hmm. And her character, I know, is going to jump right in that hole. Like, you know, and Imrith's like, oh, that's, that's one. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, and that actually, that serves some of that pacing purpose that, that you were talking about, right? Because, because the way you're talking about it playing out, you still don't get that back and forth of of th they feel like they're winning and then they feel like they're losing and then they pull it off by the skin of their teeth. But the whole Hecaton gets thrown into a portal to hell thing, uh, that kind of simulates the, you know, for a moment there, like, Imrith is winning, right? Yeah. Um, well, there I mean, are consequences. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's like, what, you think I'm going to sit here and, like, throw lightning bolts at you? You know, no, I'm going to take the thing you love and I'm going to throw it into hell. And now you're going to have to go down there and get it. And I'm going to finish what I'm doing here. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like thinking about the whole scene, regardless of hit points or regardless of that. And of course, I've got, you know, again, I've been thinking about the stats for Emmerich forever. And I'm pretty sure I can she can kill anybody, given how much crap I've put on her. Um, but uh, she's got a counter spell that does damage to the person casting the spell because I really hate players. <laughs> so it's like oh you're gonna power her and kill her yeah she's gonna counter that and you take you know 36 psychic damage so. that'll teach you yeah I mean, that'll teach you I mean, no, no spells my my uh my what is it my warlock characters with with hellish rebuke or is it the tiefling or whatever right they they, they do that kind of shit to me all the time so yeah i know right right so anyway that's that's where my game is and and my uh, big my big sort of idea and thought process is like really breaking away from the ideas about thinking about encounters, like combat encounters, and just thinking purely about, you know, in, uh, setting the situation and watching the story evolve. Yeah, we did a, uh, I don't know, remember if it was a book club or whatever a, a while ago, and we talked to, uh, I think it was Robin Laws wrote this book called Hamlet's Hit Points. Yeah, right. I interviewed him about it on uh, the Deep Dive. That's there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So he he's got some ideas and, and advice right. in that in that book that sort of talks about how do you how do you pace the story that has nothing to do with combat, right? Yeah, upper up upward beats and downward beats. Yeah, and and I, I I worked really hard for about a year or so after reading that book and talking to him to try to make that into a thing. Uh, and and there's a point where like it's weird and awkward to do it unless you just get really good at it. And I never really got really good at it, but um, I got good enough at least at least thinking about it. Um, that there's a, a part of that that you start to internalize a little bit, and so it stays yeah. with you. So, yeah, yeah, I think so. When when I talked to him, he said that like the more you, right, exactly that that the more you use it, the more it just becomes natural, and you mm -hmm. you just start doing, it, right? Like you don't you don't even think about it. And I think for me, the question is like, what tools, what especially what improvisational tools, can I keep on hand during the game that can let me throw in those 
hard beats and those soft beats. Right. And, you know, advantage, you know, or, or inspiration is one. Advantage and disadvantage are obvious ones. Right. Uh, for me, like, increasing or decreasing the amount of damage that monsters do. Well, and, um, and some of it's no just remembering, like, sometimes you just got to let the players win. Like, they, they pull off yeah, a, a right. strategy. You know, my, my players who are always hiding in the back. Okay, well, most of the time I'll let them hide in the back, and they sort of get those upbeats. But every right. now and then, Imix teleports right into the middle of you, and now you got a big right. downbeat, you know? Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, the, the beat the beat thing is really interesting, and mm-hmm. then, yeah, right on. All right, well, uh, thanks for for telling us your story, Mike, and we look forward to hearing more about where this goes next uh, month because you'll be wrapping everything up here pretty soon, right? Yeah, probably be done by next by the next time we yep. do it. Very good. At least one of the campaigns will be done. The other one might just be wrapping up. I guess, depending. Yeah, on we'll how, see how much you play, right? right? Uh, so before we move on to hear from our uh, illustrious Samuel J. Dillon, I've decided J is your middle initial now. Um, <laughs> All right. Oh, oh, and Mike, by the way, uh, Michael W. Smith is a is well known as a Christian contemporary singer from the '80s, uh, oh, and the w, and the W stands for Whitaker. So Whitaker. you are Michael D- Whitaker Shay. Okay. So there you go. Uh, Whatever. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, People like to support the show, right? And, and patreon.com slash the Tome Show is one way to support the show. Another way you can support the show is go shopping. Uh, you're probably buying stuff on Amazon. Uh, you know, if you if you get to Amazon through the links over at the thetomeshow.com, then then we get a little bit of the of a cut from that, and you get the same exact experience, and that goes a long ways to helping the show. I share all of that money with all the different contributors and creators and social media people who help out with the show, and Sam gets a cut for all the editing work that he does. I think I throw uh, something at Mike every now and then, um, you know. Everybody gets a cut. Uh, that's Tomatoes. how. That's how I try to show uh, my appreciation to all the people who contribute and help make the show possible. Um, so, so if you want to help contribute to that, go shopping at Amazon like you normally do, but get there through our links. Uh, DMs Guild works similarly. If you click to our links to DMs Guild through our website at thetomeshow.com, we get a small percentage of whatever you end up buying, uh, and that's awesome. Usually that ends up going into the to the pot for when we do PDF review episodes, and people are like, oh, I want to check out this thing, and I look and see how much money we've got in that account, and, and I try to you know get PDFs for people so they don't have to spend their money in order to bring you those great reviews. So uh, check them out. Amazon DMs Guild affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com. Hey, Sam. Hey. Tell us about your game. Okay. Well, uh, so I my group has not met since we talked last. Well, I think – well, so we've met, but we had a board game day. So oh, we okay. did not have an RPG day because my wife wanted to come along. So we uh, we scheduled a board game day and uh, and had a lot of fun doing that. You won't um, let, you won't let your wife join your your gaming group? No, I would, but she's not into RPGs. Oh, so, see. but but every once in a while, you know, she wants to get together with people who game. So you know, yeah, no, no, I I try to get her to come all the time. I think she would love it. She's not so much of a fantasy fan, so the uh, genre doesn't really you know and. Uh, horror and sci-fi don't really do much for her either so I, she's just not much of an rpg but she loves board games so uh so we had a board game day um but I, what i find interesting though I, i'm totally this is not on that topic but um what i find interesting is it's it sounds like all of our games are wrapping up um because i probably have three sessions left on my Maybe four, depending on how long it takes them to do a couple of things. I mean, I have one um, story wrapping up. The other two might take me another year or so. But you know, yeah, yeah. Well, you you have this big conglomeration right. of things. Um, but um, well, so so Mike's Mike sounds like he's wrapping up. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm and I'm I'm getting to where I'm wrapping up. Uh, so we're we're kind of on the same page. So I so I have a few things. Um, so I, I'm not going to talk a lot about my game in terms of what happened because uh, I just released the the, the latest uh, behind the DM screen this week, and uh, so hopefully this one will get released like in the next two weeks. So it won't be so fa- so far behind in the past that you'll have heard about my game. Um, I believe the last thing that happened was the they the group made it to the dwarf town. And they took Foghorn Leghorn with them, and uh, he's causing all kinds of problems. Um, 
because uh, you know they rescued that Aarakocra. So, uh, and I did talk about that on that on the last episode. So yes. I'm not going to talk about that now. So, uh, so uh, what I want to talk about is partly what I had asked Jeff earlier, um, because I I was thinking that the player who had the really low con um, was uh, originally when he put his when he just. Dis- so I had them roll their stats when they created characters. We did a character creation session. They rolled stats, and I let them choose. You know, it wasn't like roll and then you got to put it into the slots the way you roll. So this was, player chose Khan as his dump stat. He he chose Khan to to put the really low roll. He wow. he didn't roll very well, to be perfectly honest. But he was okay. I would I would have let him re-roll his stats. But he's the one player who has experience, mm. and he's also a DM for a uh, for a group of of. His his own students. He's a teacher as well, so um, so he was like, "Nah, I'll I'll deal with it. You know, we'll 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 role play it, and it's it's totally fine." Um, and then after a couple of sessions, he said to me, "You know, I might as we level up, I might decide to take the attribute bump, and and up my con so that I don't have such a low HP." But then every time he leveled up, there was so many other cool things to do that he didn't want to. He didn't take the attribute bump. Mm. Um, so uh, so he still has this really low con with a negative one modifier. And uh, so he has, he has really low hit points. And I thought that by the time they got to fifth level that, um, that they would figure out that they're very powerful. But, um, and they have. So that, that I was correct about. But what I didn't realize or what I didn't think was going to have such a big effect was he really still has not very many hit points. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, I'm not afraid of killing him um, because I, I tell them, you know, look, I, I roll out in the open. And so if if I crit you and, and, it, and it rolls and I, you know, and, you know, whatever power or whatever, then you're dead and you're dead. Like I'm not going to pull, pun- you know, I don't pull punches. Um, and so far he's been a smart enough, player in terms of the way that he runs his character that that he's he's had a couple of close calls but they didn't they weren't really problematic because they had healing potions and they have you know different things going on um but it's just one of those things i was not expecting that his really low hit points would affect at these levels and what i think is going to happen is even as they level up a couple more times and he becomes levels you know six through eight because i think the campaign's going to end and they're going to be on eighth level um it, he's still going to be really kind of hobbled you know mm. he's still he's still going to have not very many hit points um and i think he's going to end up getting killed at some point uh even though the characters are really powerful um, so I, that's why that's why I asked you that, Jeff. About you know, do you find that even at eleventh level they're still kind of fragile? So I actually feel better because you kind of said yes. So I don't I don't really feel like it's just this guy's low constitution. Uh, yeah, some of the characters are still fragile. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I don't feel so bad about that. Um, so uh, the, the thing I wanted to talk about was what I'm doing for for the next sort of the last three or four sessions, and I've been talking about. <sighs> doing this since the beginning and it it turned out that as i was doing the conversion uh they needed to be a lot higher level to to take this on um i'm you know i'm converting thunderspire labyrinth and uh so they did a bunch of other things now and now they're finally getting to the point where they're probably going to be um you know going into thunderspire labyrinth and i'm i've done a, a a lot of conversion in terms of trying to figure out how I want to do this. Um, but I, I haven't decided really how I want to do the maze. And so I, I, I was, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. I'd like, like, like to hear what you guys have to say about it. Um, say you're going to have to ask specific questions because I've never run or played in Thunderspire. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so at Thunderspire Labyrinth, um, it's theoretically, it's this huge maze, but, um, it's not. There's not really a map for the maze. They they just have some major thoroughfares, and there's this sort of uh, this sort of D20 mechanic where uh, they can accidentally get lost, and then it's really just okay. They might uh, run into some creatures and have a fight, or uh, they sp- waste a bunch of time trying to find their way again, um, which is relatively boring. Um, 
and and pretty grindy because if you just oh uh you weren't paying attention so you get lost you have a fight that's not mm-hmm. very fun right it doesn't really serve a purpose um yeah. it's kind of so my, my 30 days of random encounters in the underdark thing yeah right right <laughs> right and and so and and they don't really need a bunch of encounters to level up so it would it would feel grindy and really have no purpose so i don't really want to do that so I, the when i started converting this i sort of you know there's basically two things they have to do they have to uh find the seven pillar hall and f- learn a bunch of information um and then they have to find the the temple of eyes which is related to the elder elemental eye in in my game and mm-hmm. so that's theristan um, and then they ha- they're going to end up going to the Well of Demons. And the reason they're doing that is because the Well of Demons is just this really, really cool set-piece encounter uh, from that adventure that really is just has this really cool evocative atmosphere. It's a very well-put-together uh, encounter. And it also happens to make a great place for the the sort of portal machine thing that they need to find. Mm. So... Uh, so, so those are the. That's sort of like the last three things they're going to do for this campaign. Um, but so my problem is, I'm not sure what I want to do with this maze. So I don't know if you guys saw Sean Merwin wrote for Fifth Edition, uh, and he released a couple of months ago. I think it was something called Hallister's Last Maze. Did you guys see that? Uh, I reviewed it uh, on one of our PDF episodes. Right, right, right. I I thought I remembered that, but I wasn't mm-hmm. sure. So I um, and so. One of the things he does in there is he doesn't really give a map of the maze, but he has certain events that happen at certain times. And basically the idea is you kind of narrate them going through uh, this really creepy maze or whatever. And then uh, based on what direction they went or some certain specific choices – one of the events will happen. And and then there's a little map for that event that you could, you know, use to – run your encounter or or whatever set up the situation for your for your party uh so i could do it that way or i could actually create like a maze-like map for them to have to go through or i could do something else and i'm not sure what that would be so uh i don't know if you guys have suggestions or if you you know if anything strikes you about this or or what what do you think i i ran thunderspire labyrinth a million years ago back back when it came out like i ran all yeah. nine of those um adventures but i don't I don't remember anything about it all i remember is they they ended up fighting the duergar and taking over their shop and they sold spiced meat for the next 30 yeah. levels mm-hmm. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah so there is uh, the horned hold which is the uh duergar yeah uh, stronghold thing that my my party will probably not do that Although they yeah. might, but I, I've set it up. It's a different setup. You know, I'm not running it. it. It's it's in my world. It's a different kind of thing. But but I ba- I basically took that whole kind of idea and transferred it to my world. Mm-hmm. But it's still technically supposed to be right. So the idea is uh, this old ancient Minotaur city of Sarun Kel, which is actually a Ninter Vale thing. Um, right. Is actually Thunderspire. It's 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 located. You can find it if you go to the right place in Thunderspire Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the map um, for the Well of Demons is awesome. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's a great. Yeah, I it's remember a you, really, I used that a few times. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful fourth edition account. That's the one that has the yeah. has a ball that rolls around in a circle, right? Um, that is. Was it a drag? I can't remember if it's a dragon or a ball. I thought there's something they actually have a blood trail where there is a blood the blood trail. Yeah, but that's not. Um, that is a portion of around that area where the Well of Demons is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really, it's a really nice setup. That whole I'm trying thing. to remember. There was another um, in Out of the Abyss. There's kind of a maze area when they go to the I think it's the Worm Writhings, and uh, there's a and they basically do do a similar sort of setup where it's like they're not obviously going to take this entire region that's kind of a giant maze. Uh, right. and, and draw it all out and whatever. It's just sort of say, you know, the worm writhings are here, and this is kind of how you navigate it, and here's some skills that are relevant to finding your way and where you want to go. And then here are the sort of set-piece little dungeon areas that you might run into or encounter areas you might run into as you're running through the this maze sort of thing. And I think that's a yeah. fine way of doing it that doesn't involve just sort of the constant slog. Um, you know, I, I think, like, I'm... And I continue to be, and we've talked about this a lot over the, over the the months now. 
I continue to have these these internal fights with the idea of the random encounters, which is the slog that you're talking about, right? The grind mm-hmm. um, that in the original that they get lost and there's an encounter or whatever. Um, because on one hand, like it's a waste of my time. I'm here to tell a story, and this doesn't help me tell the story. On the other hand, it it helps punctuate the fact that no, no, no you're in a dangerous place, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I struggle. I still struggle with a little bit of how to do that. And, I, and I'm trying to remember. I think it was maybe in a long ago previous episode, um, and Mike brought up the idea of making a point to to including story elements even within the random encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, well, that, that's something that Wizards does too. If you read their random encounters in the books, all of them have. The, yeah, yeah, it's more than like here's one d four. Yeah, one d four goblins. Yeah, and I have I have a little bit of it right. I don't I don't I don't because I'm an old school player. So there's got to be there are all often random encounters in my game that are mostly related to what's going on. So there's clues like different symbols or you know this type of creature it's been mutated or whatever, right? Sure. Um, but but I want to stay away from my players getting lost and just doing encounter after encounter after encounter. Yeah. And yeah. not knowing what to do. Well, at you know a certain I mean? po- at a certain point, you're going to run out of like quaint little eccentric ideas about how to tie yeah, this in right, right. And now it's just and, becomes yeah. like okay let's just right. fight this thing and move on you know right and and i don't want it to be meaningless but i don't want it to be nothing i mean it, they really do need to know that they're in this really foreign like the minotaurs built this that because in my world that the minotaurs are not there mm-hmm. um and so that it's you know there's these weird clues and they're kind of putting together the idea of what happened to this minotaur society uh and so they need some clues. So there's there are some encounters along the way, but you know it, it's it's really for me it's a, a balance of you know how do I how do I make it so that it, everything feels relevant, uh, but not so much that oh my god everything's relevant I don't even know mm-hmm. what to do with all this. Yeah, I mean, you know? is it something that you could like? Could you follow? what I did like with the Underdark thing where, where the second time they went through it instead of doing the 30 days of random encounters uh, I just sort of um, narrated a, a montage scene like from a movie you know it's like you know you did this and you saw you know this time you traveled for months and months and months through the dark and you ran into this kind of thing and you ran into that kind of thing and by the time you got to the end like these people these NPCs were dead and these PCs had gained this madness and now you finally make it where you're going um, and, yeah. and, and you could punctuate like you could do a little bit of montage in between like the keystone encounters right so you encounter this you encounter this and then you come upon this thing and then you run that encounter and okay and then after that you're, you kind of you ran into some of this kind of thing you're into that, some of that kind of thing and you keep you can sprinkle the clues in both through the montage and through the keystone encounters you know yeah I mean the thing is that they're they're probably not going to travel for that long i mean so this this the difference here is you know they already did their really long travel through the weird river system that i had them in from last time Mm -hmm. and so this one is really a much more directed thing but there's still a chance they can get lost occasionally Mm -hmm. but it's a much more directed kind of thing so i don't know i'm still just thinking about it's one of those i figured i'd bring it up because i i'm sure i'm not the only one who has struggled with this and it's just one of those things you know yeah can i plug one more so i'm gonna plug one more thing it's like my new you know it's not even new i've been talking about it for years um but it's uh, something that i've been using a lot and I've, i find it to be probably my you know maybe my most valuable insight into how to run a decent D game which is the idea of secrets and clues have we talked about that before yep yep you know yep. just you know before before your game write down 10 tweet sized pieces of information or bits of history or whatever and don't associate them to anything in the game and then as they discover things or explore places in the game you can just drop them in when they make sense Mm -hmm. and for things like random encounters they're perfect because they can you can look at a random encounter and in your mind it's like they're in this room i rolled this monster what secret kind of helps tie the monsters to this whole thing and And almost always you can find something yeah and and what's cool is it's very dynamic it's not Mm. You know, it's right at the table. You're not you're not planning it all out ahead of time. Uh, sometimes you throw the secrets away, like they don't. They just they never come into play, and that's fine. Um, but you know, I know like the the, the game that the um, uh, oh, what are those games? The uh, Demon Souls and Dark Souls games. 
uh-huh. uh, they do this. Where, like every item you pick up has this one little piece of story, and it's the only way you actually get any of the story of the game mm-hmm. is by these like one line descriptions, and you have to piece them together yourself to kind of get anything. And most of the time, you still okay. don't have any idea. Yeah. But <laughs> it works yeah. really well. Yeah. I just I just love that. I use it all oh. the time. The other idea I have uh, is, is something I'm gonna. A concept I you can maybe steal straight out of uh, Tomb of Annihilation, and that's the idea of guides. Like, what's one of the the key parts of Tomb of Annihilation is that yeah, there's somebody so- who kind of knows where they're going, and um, and they got their own agenda, so they might not actually take you where you need to go, but they take you where they want you to right. go. And but there's somebody so here, who here's <laughs> here's yeah. why I can't do that. We're okay. probably gonna play Tomb of Annihilation. because <laughs> so, so next too many so- guides. Yeah, so there's there's going to be like maybe two or three more sessions. Then uh, one of the other players is going to uh, run a couple of sessions of Call of Cthulhu for us mm-hmm. to cleanse our palates. And then I'm going to have them create new characters for Tomb of Annihilation, mm. probably. So, so is there uh, another? I, so, so I, I and I get that, and, and you of course can can ignore it and save it for Tomb. Yeah. Um, it's also entirely possible to have a guide who's not a guide, so it feels different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Dress it up as something else. Maybe there's a, uh, you know, it could be somebody's a, a book, a book, uh, a partially poorly drawn map uh, of some former adventurers who who left yeah, this thing so behind, or here's, or a, a ghost so who possesses this, somebody, or whatever. It's so funny that you say that because here's what happened at the very beginning when they rolled their trinkets. One of the characters rolled. One of the players rolled a a, a rolled up parchment with some information weird schematic on it that they that they don't know what it is Mm -hmm. and from the beginning i've planned that to be sort of the it's the the sketch of the scribe who found the thing they're looking for and wrote was writing notes and that scroll was supposed to make it back to his boss Mm -hmm. right and the player somehow ended up with it well in the very first session the rogue player stole it from the other guy from the other player. This is how they met. This was the meeting scene. But then because he didn't want to get caught, he gave it to a trusted ally of his own, one of his own like NPC contacts and said, hold on to this. And then they left town and they haven't been back. So (laughs) in the last session, should we let Mike type his novel? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was muted. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) So in, in the last session, I gave them the choice to try to go back and get the, the schematic that they need right and they decided not to they're like no we don't have time we don't want to spend we this is really important we need to keep doing this so i had it which is why i'm asking this question now yeah because that's that's what i was hoping would happen but they they sort of stopped that but you're right i could do a book i could have and they they don't know that they don't know that they they don't know that they lost the the map right so so they they don't know it's a map but they know they lost something they because they know that they had to make the choice but they don't know it's something related to this so you they don't know that you're replacing what they lost with something similar right 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 Right, so that's what I'm saying is I could probably use a book or I could have somebody in the seven-pillared hall selling this thing and the player might recognize it as, hey, that looks really close to what that thing is I used uh, to have. Maybe maybe right? that parchment was actually a page torn out of the book or something. Yeah. It's the yeah, same book, it, yeah. Huh, you, can yeah see, could, you can see the jagged edge and, and, it, and yeah. there's drawing on it that kind of matches up what you remember seeing on the edge of the old parchment and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'd be cool. Right. Yeah. It wasn't. Huh. It wasn't a map. It was a journal. Or it was a. Whole, it was a whole journal right. of, of their experiences. Right. So cool. Well, I hope that helps. Yeah. No, it did. It did. I. You know, sometimes just saying things and talking through things yeah. really helps. Um, awesome. Thank you. Very good. All right. Well, we're gonna call that the end of the episode. Uh, so uh, everybody, say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. All right, and we'll see you guys next month on Behind yep. the Game Screen.